please rise if you're able for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do not care that my sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Caleb. I'm the pastor of student ministries here, and it is a great joy to be opening God's word with you this morning. Uh, before we dive in, though, would you, uh, would you pray with me real quick? Father, we come before you, and, and we confess uh, that we are tired, that we are burdened. There is much on our minds, Father. And so we ask that you would be among your people this morning, that you would comfort us, that you would renew us, and that you would grow us uh, into the image of your Son. And Father, I confess my own frailty to you that um, any words that I may have to say are, are feeble things if they're not infused with your power. And so, Father, would you use me for this time of ministry to glorify you and you alone. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In 2019, researchers from Vital Smarts, which is a leadership training company, uh, gathered a group of 1,300 employees from various occupations together in an attempt to better understand their work experience. And one of the things that came out of this study was that oh, they all have a lot on their plates right now. In fact, they found that one in three said that they always have more tasks in front of them than they can actually get done. And the other two-thirds said that they usually are in the same predicament. In other words, everyone is overcommitted. And perhaps you're feeling that this morning. Perhaps you're, you're getting a little anxious because there are a lot of things that you need to do today. And today just might be the day that Caleb decides to be long-winded. Or, or may, maybe you are listening to the announcements and thinking, wow, some of this stuff sounds great. Or, oh, I would love to be a part of a small group or, or, or join a Bible study but I just can't fathom adding one more thing to my already overstuffed life. We are overcommitted. We, we've kind of adopted that great anthem from VeggieTales. We are busy, busy, dreadfully busy. You have no idea what I have to do. And it's this state of overcommitment that we find ourselves in that can disorient us, that can pull us away from what we're actually called to do. Uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, we find ourselves in the middle of a series called Mind the Gap, and we are looking at how we as a church can bridge where we are with where God is calling us to be. 
here at Providence, we believe that God has called us to follow Christ together, to be his disciples and his witnesses and his ambassadors to the world. But there are things in our lives that work against that pursuit. And we're calling those things gaps. And today, we're going to look at the gap that, that, that greatly influences our investments, how we spend our time and our wealth. And that is the value gap. Now, to value something simply means that you ascribe worth to it. Uh, and so this gap arises in our lives whenever we are misvaluing something, whether that means we are overvaluing it or undervaluing it. And so we're going to turn our attention to Luke chapter, two, or ta- chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, and look at how we can bridge the value gap. And from our text, I want us to make three movements. I want us to look at the principle, the debt, and the redemption. Now, as, as we turn our attention to the gospel of Luke, it's, it's important to understand that the gospels are not just a collection of stories about Jesus. That they were skillfully woven together, not just to accurately communicate Jesus' ministry, life, death, and resurrection, but also as a tool to edify and instruct the early church of how they were to embody Jesus and his teaching. And so in our Luke chapter 10, Luke is trying to communicate that, that Jesus flips everything on its head. He's already demonstrated that with the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus takes the villain in every story, and he makes them the hero. And this trend continues as we come to our text, which begins in verse 38. And we're told that that Jesus is traveling along, and he, he goes into a village where a certain family resides, that of Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus, though he's not mentioned in our text this morning. And so Jesus is coming over for dinner. Now, I don't know how it works in your house, but when we have someone over for dinner, that's kind of a big deal. Like, it's an all-hands-on-deck type of thing. We got to clean the house. We have to make it look like we haven't lived in that house for a few weeks. And, and you can't just put out a bag of chips. You have to have a great spread so that there is more than enough food for anyone who might happen to show up. That's just if anyone comes over. Now imagine that it's Jesus of Nazareth who's coming over to your house. That's a whole different level of involvement, which would be especially true if you were a woman in the first century. Uh, If you were a Jewish woman in the first century, your reputation and honor was greatly tied up in how well you managed your household. And so we would expect to find Mary and Martha frantically dedicated to preparing and, and, and serving all the guests that came into their house. But that's not where the text tells us Mary is, is it? No, Mary is listening to Jesus' teaching. And you can imagine how this situation plays out, right? Martha is doing all of this work and suddenly realizes that Mary is not. She, she sees her over in the corner of her eye that she's over there with Jesus. And the, the blood begins to boil as she thinks to herself, what is she doing over there? Doesn't she know that there's a lot of work to do? I mean, I would love to go sit over there and listen to Jesus too, but, but there's a lot to do and someone has to do it. And so Martha would continue doing all this stuff, glaring daggers at Mary the whole time. 
slamming pots around, slamming pans around, trying to get someone to notice that she's the one doing everything. Until finally she can't handle it anymore and just blurts out, Jesus, would you please tell my sister to help? And Jesus says, no. No, I won't. Because Mary has chosen correctly. And that will not be taken from her. And we read that, and we think to ourselves, okay, cool, I got, the, I got the point. I got the principle. Be a Mary, not a Martha. Don't worry about doing or serving or working. What's important is we just need to spend time with Jesus. The only problem with that is that's not what Jesus says. Jesus is not rebuking Martha's service. Service is a great thing. It's something that we as Christians are called to do. It's actually so important to us here at Providence that it's one of our six pillars of following Christ together. Jesus is not rebuking Martha's service. Jesus is rebuking Martha's value of her service. See, Martha has, has misvalued her service over her Savior. And this is typically where our problem lies as well. We struggle to determine something's value in relation to other things. See, in a vacuum, I think we all would agree that God is the most important, the most valuable thing in our lives. The problem is that none of us live in a vacuum. Uh, There are a lot of real-world factors that come in and, and, and shake things up. Let me give you a couple of silly examples. In a vacuum... How valuable is a single chicken nugget? Well, if you have nine other chicken nuggets with that one nugget, it's worth about $5. But if you pull it out of the vacuum and you put it in the real world, and it just so happens to look like uh, one of the characters from the video game Among Us, that chicken nugget is worth like $100,000. You don't look like you believe me. Let me prove it to you. It's $100,000, guys. Or, or, or how about this one? Take a look at this poor, decrepit, stuffed animal. If this is in a vacuum, you would say, that has no value at all. Please throw it in an incinerator so that it will stop haunting my nightmares. But in the real world, to my daughter, this is one of the most valuable things in the world because she slept with it every night of her life. Do, do, you see the, do you see the point I'm trying to make? Something's value is more than just its intrinsic worth in a vacuum. There are other factors involved. The, the intensity of our needs, the expediency with which an item can meet those needs, or how much effort we have to put in to get the item to work. All of these factors come into play. And they can take things that aren't very valuable in a vacuum, and they can elevate them and inflate them to being more valuable than Jesus. And so the principle in our text is not be, don't do. The principle is make sure that you are appraising things in your life correctly, which is really difficult for us to do because of our debt. See, each of us is running a self-worth deficit, that we are are desperately trying to establish that we are valuable and worthwhile, but that is something that we can't pay off on our own. 
No matter how many times we look in the mirror and we recite the, the special motto from the Lego movie, that we are important and, and, and interesting and talented and extraordinary, more so than anyone in the universe, no matter how many times we say that to ourselves, we won't believe it. It just won't do it for our self-esteem because our self-worth is established outside of us. We are dependent on others to deem us valuable. And so the things that we value are the things we believe will make us valuable to others, the things that will garner their praise and admiration and therefore pay off our self-worth deficit. And here's how you can tell what is valuable to you. You look at your investments. Where do you invest your time? And I don't, don't simply mean like the waking hours of your day. Where, where do your thoughts go? Where does your mind go when it has nowhere it has to go? Typically what we daydream about is one of the things that we value. Or, or look, at, look at your finances. Where do you invest your money? If, if you're spending a lot of money on, say, designer apparel, it, it indicates that, that you're placing high value on your appearance to gain the approval of others. Or look at your emotions. Where are you investing, say, your anger? One of the reasons we get fly off the handle angry is because something that is super significant to us, something that, that gives us a sense of value and worth is being threatened. Same thing with fear. Fear is an indicator that we might lose it. And so look at our investments, our time, our wealth, and our emotions. They all point to the same fact that we have committed ourselves to certain things to cover our self-worth deficit. And we put forth great effort in the hopes that we will receive great reward. Unfortunately, we live in a, an unidealistic world. And so oftentimes what happens is we put in great effort and we receive little to no reward for it. It doesn't seem to even touch our deficit. And I actually think that's why Martha is upset in our text. Sure, she's annoyed with Mary. I think she's also annoyed with Jesus. Listen to what she says again, verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Now let me translate what she just said. Jesus, have you not seen what I've been doing? I'm like the freaking pioneer woman over here. Look at all I'm doing. And, and you haven't even acknowledged how well I'm manning, managing all this craziness. You haven't turned to Mary and said, see, why can't you be more like your sister? Jesus, why won't you acknowledge and reward me for my efforts. See, Mary, or Martha, is looking to be rewarded for all of her service, for all of her effort. And it's just not paying out the way she thinks that it should or the way that she needs it to. And that is a common experience for us whenever we're in a high-effort, low-reward situation. And when we find ourselves in that type of imbalance, one of two things typically happens. Either A, we reduce our efforts to match the reward we're receiving, or we just quit altogether. Or we redouble our efforts. 
We lean into it, believing that if we just give it more energy, more effort, eventually we'll crack open the floodgates and receive the reward that we so desperately need. And perhaps you have uh, experienced that in your Christian walk. Um, both of those things, actually. Uh, perhaps you, you've, you've been in a situation where, where you put in a lot of effort. Maybe, maybe you got up super early uh, in the morning to spend time with Jesus. You're sacrificing sleep and time with your family and getting a, a jump start on the day. You're putting in all that effort, expecting a great reward for your troubles. You just don't get a lot. And so what happens? We lower our effort. We start giving it less time. We start letting it get uh, pushed out by other things. Sometimes we even just stop altogether. And we do that because the reward isn't matching the effort. Or sometimes we swing the complete opposite direction. Sometimes we redouble our effort. We become those people who, who do 80%, the, the 20% of the people that do 80% of the work but we do so out of joyless desperation because we are hoping that someone will finally notice us and, and, and appreciate and affirm and approve of us the way we so desperately need. And the heart of either of these responses is our preoccupation with paying off our self-worth deficit. But the reality is all of these pursuits, they're destroying us. That's what Jesus tells Martha in verse 41. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Tone is really important for this response. Jesus is not angry at Martha. He's not like, you done messed up, Martha. No, he's deeply concerned about her. And we know that because he uses her name twice. In Greek, that's called a double vocative. It's a way of expressing intense emotion and concern. And so I imagine that Jesus, after hearing Martha's request, turns to her with concern and sadness and tells her that this is not working, Martha. These things are not helping you. They are causing you to be anxious. They are pulling you in every direction, and it is tearing you to shreds. You aren't in control. You're not coming away feeling valuable and worthwhile. You are troubled. You are like, you're like a capsized boat that's just going any which way that claims to help pay off your debt. And again, I think we all understand what Martha's feeling. I think we've all found ourselves under this crushing weight of needing self-worth. And we are so desperate to get out from underneath it. That's why we're overcommitted. That's why we keep adding more and more task and effort to hopefully figure out the perfect mix to pay off the internal debt. But it never seems to be enough, does it? And we are running ourselves into the ground trying. And so the question for us is, how do we get out of debt? How can we pay off our self-worth deficit. What needs to happen is we need to be redeemed. But before we can talk about redemption, we really have to talk about how we are deemed. Uh, to, to deem something just means to consider it or think about it in a certain way. 
And so to think about ourselves rightly, we really have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, where we are told that we were created in the image of God. And that's good news, because it means that we have inherent value. Because we are a reflection of God, we are valuable. But it also tells us that our value is wrapped up, it's connected to the God we reflect. We are dependent on him for our sense of worth. And should we ever be separated from him? Should the relationship be severed? Well, then our value and worth would go with him. And that is exactly what happened when we sinned. Sin is not just bad things I have done that God told me not to do. Sin is is cosmic treason. It's, It's an intentional rebellion against the king of the universe which is rightly punishable by death. It is the the greatest act that could earn us disapproval. And in so doing, we have alienated ourselves from the God we were created to derive our value from. And so we are left in a constant state of trying to subsidize our sense of worth that only God can satisfy. And so just to recap, We have not only alienated ourselves from God, but we have absolutely nothing commendable within us. In other words, we are sinners who are far worse than we think we are. And so our value is set. We are are rebels, enemies, sinners, worthy of death, and unable to change or contribute our, our valuation in any way, shape, or form. But then in steps Jesus. And Jesus does something mind-blowing. He redeems us. He buys us back, which costs him a great price. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19 tells us that we were not purchased with gold or with silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. That on the cross, Jesus cancels our debt. He pays it in full. And in so doing, he also redeemed us. He resets our value. He redefines what we're worth. Here's a really easy way to figure out how valuable something is. You look at what people will pay for it. It doesn't matter if someone says it's worth $5,000. If people will only pay 500 bucks for it, that's how much it's worth. Because people will always pay what something is worth. So take that logic and apply it to us. Jesus, on the cross, set for all eternity what you are worth. If Jesus gave his life, which has infinite value for you, how valuable are you then? In the eyes of Jesus, you are of infinite worth. This is a theme that pops up again and again throughout Scripture, but I can think of no place that more succinctly makes the case than 1 John 3, 1, which says, See, behold, the great love that God has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Notice what John does not say there. He doesn't say that you are children of God because you have done X, Y, and Z. It is not based on your performance. You are a children. You are a child of God 
because you're a child of God. It's a gift. It's something we receive. We don't somehow manage to earn our approval. We don't somehow become good enough to keep the title. We simply receive it. And that's why Mary chose correctly in our text. Look again at where Mary finds herself. In verse uh, 39, she's sitting at Jesus' feet. She's, she's soaking in and receiving what Jesus has to say to her and about her. And, and this is why we are to value Jesus above all else, because when we spend time with him, when we receive what he has to say about us, it satisfies our craving for value and worth. If you're here this morning and you, 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 you feel that crushing weight of your worth, come, sit at his feet. Receive with gladness what he says is true about you. And, and this isn't just the key for, for struggling with uh, self-worth and value. It also unlocks our ability to pursue our calling. See, just because we sit at Jesus' feet and receive what he has to say about us does not mean that we don't go, serve, work, pursue our calling. In fact, it's the only way that we can do any of those things. Let me be very blunt with you. If we're going to pursue our calling, if we're going to follow Jesus as we ought, it is going to cost you. It's going to cost me. It's going to cost us financially. We're going to have to, sa to sacrifice some things in our calendar that's really important to us. We're going to, we're going to lose certain revenue streams of getting people's approval. We're going to pay a heavy price. And you might be thinking, how could we ever pay that price? How could we ever suffer that type of loss? Well, we can shoulder that cross, and we can do so gladly only when we grasp what we've got in Jesus. When we grasp that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and which means his valuation of us does not change, it puts everything else in its proper place. So what if some people don't approve of us? So what? if we're unable to hold on to their fickle favor. We've got Jesus. And so here's the point. If we want to bridge the value gap, if we want to, to value our calling and be devoted to pursuing it, our, our own sense of value has to be well-established. We, we can't be distracted and running off trying to find it elsewhere. We have to clearly hear and receive what God says and has demonstrated to be true about us, that we are his treasure. And so, brothers and sisters, may we be those who adopt a new anthem, that in the morning when we rise, give me Jesus. That, that when I find myself alone, give me Jesus. When it is finally time for me to die, give me Jesus. Oh, you can have all of this world. Just give me Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we acknowledge and confess that there is none like you.
You are infinitely valuable. Nothing compares to you. And yet we also confess that our value system gets messed up quite easily. Father, we confess, I confess that, that, that in, a, in, in a pursuit of finding value and worth, I have elevated things far above you. Forgive me, forgive us of this, Father. God, would you help us to see what these pursuits are doing to us, how they're tearing us to shreds, how they're pushing us around and pulling us away from you and your calling on us. God, we ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would give us eyes to see your great love and valuation of us, that you would send your son to die for sinners like us. Father, may, may we see that, may we grasp it, and may it motivate us to pursue your calling of us. Even now, Father, as we sing your praises, as we declare how wonderful and how much greater your mercy for us is, would you soften our hearts? Would you increase your value in our eyes? We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.